Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank, with your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat, not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. Today on All About Affordable NFTs, can we uh, can we stop calling everything a Ponzi scheme? We're going to break down Ponzi scheme, what it actually means, and when it should actually be used. First off, Andrew, how's it going? What's in the news for us? Yeah, I'm seeing Ponzi's everywhere. Ponzi schemes <laughs> everywhere. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna clear that up today, right? Okay. All right. What are we seeing out there? Let's see. Got a new gallery opening in uh, in Santa Monica. This is from Justin Abersano, a pretty well known photographer in the space. Um, did the Twin Flames collection, so he's opened up a gallery in uh, the Third Street Promenade, right in Santa Monica. So pretty. Uh, prime location there it looks like a cool space um they had a a uh, mint to celebrate the opening uh, some outtakes from his uh from his collection um so cool to see i think these in real life galleries are are going to be key in getting new people into the into the nft space nice uh, another one see out here jake paul shilled and a moon nfts and it turns into a 6.3 million dollar rug pull so Saying that there's essentially, I mean, Jake Paul is a, uh, we'll call him a influencer, celebrity, uh, human opportunist. Yeah. You know, his job is to, you know, promote his brand and make money. So it looks as though that happened, but there's no evidence of a natural play to earn game developed. And it's a Pokemon style NFT project and the team vanished, deleted their Twitter account and website. So probably not good news. As far as I know, it's not the first one he's been connected with either. You know, I think it seems as though, you know, as a YouTube influencer, he essentially like promotes things that people pay him to promote. Now, what kind of diligence he does? Unclear. How much are you liable as somebody who's a name of something promoting something? Unclear. Yeah, we may find out, you know, I'd like to find out at some point, to be honest, but, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. All right, next one here. So this, this is interesting. I just saw this, that a law firm has used an NFT to serve court papers to anonymous defendants. They know that the defendants have a wallet, so they're serving court papers that way. Um, I just read about this. I am certainly not a lawyer, have not even heard what a, a the real law take is on this, but uh, you know, I do find this interesting in how these digital identities work and that we know that there is an identity behind each wallet. So what happens when these things are, uh, you know, when we're using them for other uses that we haven't yet thought of, such as serving court papers? Wow. I think, I think that's one of those that have a much bigger implication than we may realize. You're essentially using a, an address as an address for sending messages. What's more, you could also hypothetically identify a bunch of people that have been, I don't know, rug pulled by Jake Paul and do a class action suit. And you'd immediately see people affected. You could then 
pull them together, message them that like, hey, you're a part of this thing and directly compensate them with the the rewards. Like there's a lot of folks that spend a lot of money to do this from like medical malpractice and different medications that go about pulling together dependents. And mm, that's very interesting. It is. You know, we'll, I don't know we'll how the secondary market would behave on your on your court, court <laughs> you just like, ah, I'm going to sell this. Oh boy. Depending on how the case is going, right? Go bid on it. All right. And I don't know why now, but at Salesforce, I thought we talked about some at some point before, but Salesforce is getting into NFTs. They're launching an NFT cloud because of course they have to call it a cloud. Unclear to me exactly how this will be different than other options out there. But then again, I don't know a ton about how Salesforce, um, I don't know how, how this would work with a Salesforce system in general. Finally, a way to buy and sell NFTs on the cloud. We did it. In your CRM that tries to be many more things. Right. All right. Anyway, we've got next, we've talked about this one before party bid, um, or the party DAO, they have been selling, uh, NFTs to um, the Pooley NFT for, uh, to raise money for the, their defense that was uh, for this hopefully frivolous lawsuit, but they actually just announced that they raised 16.4 million led by A16Z. So, um, you know, while they were trying to sell those NFTs, they were also fundraising and uh, did quite success, did so quite successfully, um, 16.4 million, that's a big round. And, you know, they obviously think that they will be successful in their lawsuit as many others do. So, uh, it's good to see. And A16Z has a lot of money. That's, that's my takeaway here. <laughs> yes. Remember it's a bear market out there. It's a bear. <laughs> remember, remember it's a bear market. Uh, okay. So we've got this fun MFers next era and end of Sartoshi. MFers is a, a very irreverent NFT series. I, I don't know. You want to share any more about, about this? Well, so it's a CCO project that was created by Sartoshi, uh, a play on Satoshi, the, the famous creator or the, the anonymous creator of uh, Bitcoin, so Sartoshi Art in there uh, has created this, and this is, uh, we don't know who this is, and they are now uh, sort of disappearing, announcing that they will, will uh, let the community take over, and we hopefully, I mean, I kind of hope that we don't find out the identity much in the same way of Satoshi here, and just let it be that way, um, but uh, there's a next era to this as well, so what have, what have we got here? As I understand it, the contract, the MFR's contract, right? So where the royalties kind of go every time you buy and sell one of these things, X percent goes to this particular contract. That contract is just being handed over to the community. So they have identified, uh, they're not docs, but they've identified community members that are holders of now this multi-sig wallet, as I understand, and are going to directly control what happens to this project. I've never seen this done in such a open transparent, complete way where the owners are just like, no, it's like, I'm not doing anything. I classically had no roadmap. It's like, whatever you want to do with these like silly little things, like go do it. I don't give a shit. And now that's seems to be the final piece where, uh, that's being handed over and it, it's an interesting experiment. Yeah. Notable that, uh, this was done on June 9th, also known as six 
nine and the price for, uh, these, uh, this end of Sartoshi, which we'll, we'll get to, looks like they've also alluded to the six, nine, uh, theme in here. So, you know, Sartoshi staying true to, to crypto meme culture with this, uh, with this whole project, it seems. Yeah, we'll say MFers were on my shopping list for a little while. I was paying attention to that price. At one point, it was like over five ETH. It was very real, very up there, currently trading at about 1.89. And, you know, I was kind of watching it, but I will say for our affordable project, and we got to say thanks to uh, Myth47 uh, Myth for, for this one, for letting me know that it was minting. It'll be a little late after you get it, but if you were in our Discord, you'd see it. Uh, but they are minting a end of Sartoshi uh, uh, mint, and it's an open edition. So surprise, surprise, you know, it's gone for 0.069, but there's been over, as of saying this now, 10,000 of these done. And as I think we probably buy it before at or below mint price, even when you're when you're listening to this, um, generally speaking with open editions, that's that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was open on, you know, six, nine for a period of time of 12 hours. And so anybody who's aware of that just sort of minted as many as they wanted. And so that tends to saturate the market of people interested. And so therefore, you know, full disclosure, I had to get a mint one. I think it'll be cool to have it in my, uh, I think it'll be cool to have it at, in my contract from, uh, the original, but it says from null address. So I didn't even get that kind of cool thing, but I'll, I'll hold it. I, um. I've always gotten a kick out of the Sartoshi stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a cool project. I like, I don't know. I love the, uh, I don't know, the, the homage to Satoshi and the, the creation of Bitcoin. You know, we've talked about the pros and cons of, of anonymous founders, you know, and, and, you know, I, I am, I'm certainly open to the idea of an anonymous founder being okay, especially in this situation where there really are promises, you're not really putting much trust in the founder to, to deliver on promises because there aren't any, and you know, it's being taken over by the community much in the yeah, same way of, as Bitcoin. So, you know, we'll see what will happen, what happens with it in the long run. Um, it, you know, I think it adds, certainly adds some mystique to that project. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's an interesting one experiment to watch in general, my. My evolving philosophy on DAOs that are essentially leaderless is that it is hard to move a community through toward a goal that is hard, challenging along the way. If you don't have one person with a vision pushing and organizing and like vesting and, and, and guiding, uh, but we can see the other, you know, the other direction here, maybe, uh, maybe does take off with, you know, over time, a, a community led and invested group. Yeah. I mean, I think. I don't know. I think there's something to maybe not having a, a purpose, um, for many of these projects you know, where, uh, with less, less promises mean less disappointment. <laughs> and a cue, cue the lowered expectation soundtrack. Yeah. Right. All right. Our theme stop. Can we stop calling everything a Ponzi scheme? So to lay the groundwork Ponzi's Charles Ponzi was the original Ponzi Ponzi guy in the 1920s, he basically promised investors a 50% return for a few months uh, for an investment, basically uh, rerunning international mail coupons. So he's like, look, I can buy them here and then resell them. And essentially he just used investments from new investors to pay the old investor rate and hype, hype, hype grew until it all collapsed again when new people weren't buying in. And so 
a Ponzi scheme is, you know, a fraudulent thing that it, you know, uses and tends to generate outsized returns for early investors, uh, from later investors. Great. Yeah. So why it, the term is used all over the place in crypto and sometimes it's rightful and I, I, you know, I shouldn't even just saying crypto. I feel like it's used well outside of, uh, the crypto sphere as well, you know, you know, is it, should it be used at all with crypto? Do you think, I mean, do you think that this is happening? The elements that here's the checklist for calling everything a Ponzi, I think assumes that every time you use that word, the big one, the binary thing for me is, was it a fraud or illegal activity? The illegal activity is key here. Because the other elements are saying, like, when you were talking about using money from new users to pay existing users, like, that's how a lot of companies work, generally speaking, right? Like, if people stop buying Teslas, right? If people stop buying, the new money stops moving in. Guess what? Those charging stations go away. Your software updates go away. Oh, it was a pond. No, it's, it's a business predicated on the fact that we need more people to use it to get a network effect. And I think, you know, the, the overuse of it is assuming and painting this, this sort of fraudulent brush on, on web three, where I don't think it should be applied. Now, there are times where we get frustrated with rug pulls, but is a rug pool illegal? Well, you know, maybe we need to look at that as part of uh, some new legislation that we need to put a reg rug pull clause in there. But, you know, I think there is, you know, I, I think uh, oftentimes reg rug pull or there are more rug pulls and maybe we're not even using that term um, correctly often, but there's, there's nefarious things going on and we don't have great ways of, of describing it exactly. And people resort to calling it a Ponzi. And I don't think that's what a lot of these are. A lot of them are failed projects, but there are a lot that were never, that there was never much of an attempt given. And I do think that we need to, you know, to look at these as yes, yes, businesses fail and yes, um, you know, they do need more money to keep it coming in. But if there was never even a, there was never much effort given to it. Maybe it's not a Ponzi, but it certainly wasn't a, a business that was giving it a good effort to try to bring in more revenue. They were looking, you know, there's a lot of crypto projects that are looking at it. Like we're on, we're going to sell the NFT and if we need more, we're going to print some more NFTs and sell them again. And, you know, that is done too much and said like, well, it didn't work out in the end. And, you know, many times that's, it's really poor management. And, you know, I hope that we can find a way to, uh, you know, to maybe use better terms here, but also, I don't know, look at what, look at what is, what is expected of a founder when they get into a project. You know, I think too many people have gotten into this, not knowing what they were really getting into and. Yeah, you know, in some ways we've seen why, you know, why it's hard to go raise capital from, from VCs or from, you know, even, you know, from angel investors, you know, when you, when it be, when you've got to go through a lot of work, you know, you're a lot less, I think you've, you've shown something that you're not ready to just give up when it gets difficult. And we do have a lot of people that are giving up saying that they tried a business, it didn't work and that's it. And walking away with, with a lot of funds still at this point. Yeah, the the legal, I guess, edge that I find that might be the umbrella for this would be a, a false advertising and false advertising laws, wherein it is technically illegal for you to go ahead and say, 
Uh, let's say you start advertising a t-shirt company that says all of our t-shirts are made in the U.S. as a marketing club because they're like, now oh, more people will buy it. We can charge a higher premium, even though they're all made in Taiwan. Like that's false advertising. And it comes with penalties like prison or a fine. And that is legally enforceable. So hypothetically, if you are selling an NFT or a project and you say like, I'm going to do these things like create a play to earn game. Here it is on a roadmap. You're buying into this thing that I promise is going to be done this way. That is potentially false advertising. You're advertising the sale of this thing. Say, I'm going to go do this thing. And you don't, and if you don't even do it, if there's like no honest effort in the rug pull scenario, I'd say that may find its way into to that legal bearing, but you know, to, to call it a, a Ponzi scheme is, is misleading. Maybe it was, it had pyramid marketing elements. So in a pyramid marketing, you classically use the word scheme, but it's a strategy. A pyramid marketing strategy where you get the people that you have to get more people in order to create a network effect and a larger economic outcome is an arguable way that many companies go about it. And so I think if you've misled about the promise and don't deliver honest effort toward that, you've that now be run a Pixelmon scheme. Is that what maybe we need new terms? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what that's what we've come up with. We just need to have new terms for the the crypto era, the <laughs> NFT era. Did you get Pixelmon? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go check I on mean, Pixelmon, Kevin, hold on. No, I, I think that we, you know, we do need to come up with some ways to look at this differently than we are. They aren't all Ponzi's. We've, you know, crypto has its own problems. You know, we can, you know, maybe we need to have a, you know, a, a Pixel, you know, there's a, a Pixelmon, there's a, a, I don't know, there's a Duquan, there's a Doquan, and there's so many, there's, there's enough scams and schemes in crypto that I really don't think that we need to allude back to things that they aren't actually. Come on, that we can be more original than that. Uh, so a Kevin, a Pixelmon Kevin, if you'll remember the worst character ever generated, ever, uh, currently has a floor of 2.95 ETH. Wow. Someone's, so really holding value there. Yeah. Wow. I've got the feeling that there's not a ton of liquidity, but you know, it's, it's an art piece. So you can, you can display that on your wall while you're waiting for it to sell. That's a piece of history right there. I don't know, man. It, it kind of is. I mean. Might go on my watch list. Oh, boy. <laughs> Especially if we start calling everything. Oh, you got Pixelmond. <laughs> okay. I think you should, this is this is why it's good to play games, to to mint new horses, to breed, I'm sorry, to breed new horses, to just fulfill that need to click buttons. Yeah. Maybe do it at lower stakes rather than go buy a, a part of what was probably a, a Ponzi scheme at the very least that false, uh, false advertising. And, and so, you know, to come back to it, yeah, Ponzi has negative connotations, namely in the fraud or illegal activity. Uh, and, you know, rug pulls, I think are maybe the false advertising. People aren't going to change our language, but it's, it's tough when every time, you know, media gets frustrated, we get frustrated. We just like, oh yeah, it's like Ponzi-nomics and look at them like screwing people over. You're like, everything relies on some version of getting new people to buy in and bring uh, liquidity into a market. Like that's, it's how all of these things work. Um, you know, Metcalf's law is dependent on the fact that, you know, the first five phones were useless. It wasn't until we had 500 phones or 500,000 phones. We we're like, oh, this thing is now useful. Now, if that number went down, your phone would be useless. And you'd be like, whoa, you know, what a Ponzi scheme. So yeah, I, I see it everywhere. And, you know, I also try to spend a disproportionate amount of time trying to understand when the music is going to start and my, and stop and my NFT is going to drop through the floor in a game. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that actually is a good point is, you know, think about where the money is coming from in general. And in too many cases, it is from, from us, from, from the collectors, they need new collectors and, you know, be wary of that. If you are the one that's supposed to be, you know, you or someone like you are the one, the one that's supposed to be providing the revenue and the next round of revenue and the next round of revenue <laughs> at some point people are gonna stop doing that so just you know it i don't know it's not always so obvious i think and you know it takes some of these projects it takes a little bit of of uh of thinking about to figure out where it's coming from but I, in those situations something like step in where you know people were making all this money um walking and you know i've seen that that i saw that uh token has crashed pretty pretty drastically recently, not a big surprise. If you don't know where that money is coming from, I mean, that means they need new buyers and that's going to come to an end. It wasn't advertisers, advertisers, you know, I'm sure there was some VC money that was funding it initially, but then it was just selling new pieces and, you know, that's, those games come to an end and, you know, it looks like it has there as well, you know, so we're still looking for for the right game, the right gaming and earning thing, as we've talked about in that last episode, but, um, you know, I, there's too many that are just looking for us to, to, to be that next round of funding. <laughs> well, I'm going to go race some drunk horses. Good bud, good Budweiser's paying for my ponies. Although Woo! I'm not quite sure how I'm going to see any of that, but uh, full disclosure, I minted one of those. I, I got a, a little Budweiser pass. I'm going to get myself some free beer for life. Although I can't drink it, so I'm gonna need you to drink it because I am gluten free. I didn't okay. think this through I it can't all. Did drink I? Bud Light. I just <laughs> no. I'm gonna get the Limerita. <laughs> I'm gonna be Limerita only. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> well, this devolved. Hey, if you have a second, leave us a rating on you know whatever platform you're on. Uh, and thanks for the folks sharing stuff in Discord, sharing some alpha, as well as some terrible, terrible ideas. And I don't know the difference, so I buy it all. Anyway, leave us a. Uh, Four or more stars. Less than that, just email us. Tell us we're doing a crap job. All right. Thanks, Andrew. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com in our show notes. Again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.